It's Wednesday, August 24th. I'm Pam Jones. A brazen afternoon shooting at a Baltimore intersection ends in one fatality and several injuries. Local city, state, and federal officials gathered in Maryland today to promote new efforts to tackle violent crime. The city council has approved spending $1 million on new cell phone tracking technology. Time is running out for Marylanders to take advantage of the student loan debt relief tax credit program. I'll have those stories and headlines. Plus, Baltimore County is scrambling to fill teacher vacancies before school starts next week. And a giant indoor salmon farm on the eastern shore is raising the eyebrows of some environmentalists. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day made possible by GBMC Healthcare. One person has died in a mass shooting that left six others injured early this afternoon in the Northwest District of Baltimore. Police report they received the first 911 calls about the shooting at 12.24 p.m. WIPR's Bethany Raja reports. Northwest District police officers were called to the intersection of Shirley Avenue and Park Heights Avenue to investigate a shooting. There they found two men at the scene. Later, five other men walked into area hospitals. Police Commissioner Michael Harrison said at a press conference that two people got out of a silver Lexus sedan and fired at the group of people. Right afternoon, in broad daylight, the brazenness of these offenders to pull up, get out of a car, and then open fire on a group of people minding their own business is unconscionable. What's as unconscionable as that is people who know who was in that car and don't say anything and don't help. Harrison implored the public to contact the police if anyone knows anything about who the shooters are. That's very brazen, very cowardly, and we absolutely need to find who did this as fast as possible so we can hold them accountable for the the carnage and the damage and the harm they not just did to these seven individuals, but what they did to this community. At a press conference with city, state, and federal leaders to discuss fighting crime, Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott said fighting crime is bigger than the Baltimore City Police Department. Bethany Raja, WYPR News. At roughly the same time as the shooting, state, city, and federal officials were in East Baltimore to announce the latest in a series of efforts to curb gun violence in the city. WYPR's Rachel Bay has more on that story. U.S. Attorney for the District of Maryland, Eric Barron, says $3.5 million in new state funding will allow his office to take new tactics as it prosecutes people who commit violent crimes. All too often, we look at our violent crime targets in a vacuum. We're not going to do that anymore. If we suspect you for uh, committing violent crime in our communities, you will be vetted for any and all wrongdoing that meets our office's priorities. In other words, if someone is suspected in a violent crime, the U.S. Attorney's Office will also investigate them for possible unemployment insurance fraud, CARES Act fraud, or payroll protection program fraud. Barron called this the Al Capone method of prosecution. You might not believe it, but what we have found is that more than half of our targets are involved in such fraud. Barron said he also plans to prosecute people under a federal statute barring unlicensed guns within a thousand feet of a school. It's a little known or prosecuted statute, particularly in the history 
of the U.S. Attorney's Office. To facilitate these and other violence prevention efforts, the U.S. Attorney's Office is adding a division devoted to violent and organized crime with 30 new employees. A spokeswoman for the office said they hope to be fully staffed up by October 7th. They will work with the state attorney general's office, as well as both city and federal law enforcement, to try to reduce Baltimore's record levels of violence. Rachel Bay, WYPR News. The Baltimore City Council has agreed to spend nearly $1 million to update its cell phone tracking technology. A stingray system will allow police to record a cell phone's location, number, and the numbers of outgoing calls and text messages. The data is used to investigate crimes and during litigation. The latest numbers on COVID-19 in Maryland show just over 1,100 new confirmed cases with the positivity rate at 11.45 percent. There were 545 hospitalizations and eight more people in the state have died from complications of the virus in the last 24 hours. Time is running out for Marylanders to apply for the Student Loan Debt Relief Tax Credit. Residents must owe at least $20,000 in undergraduate or graduate student loan debt, have been a resident for the 2022 tax year, and filed their 2022 Maryland state income taxes. The program works by providing an income tax credit for Maryland residents making eligible undergraduate and or graduate education payments on loans from an accredited college or university. It is administered by the Maryland Higher Education Commission. The deadline for the state's program for tax year 2022 is September 15th. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott has announced a new fall festival. Charm City Live will be a one-day festival with food, a kid zone, community resources, and music at War Memorial Plaza. The family-friendly event will take place on Saturday, September 24th from noon until 8 p.m. The Charm City Live talent lineup includes singer-songwriter and producer Kenneth Babyface Edmonds and Grammy-nominated songstress Kelly Price. Residents can expect road closures to begin the day before. Baltimore County is understaffed by more than 400 teachers as classes are set to begin next week. This comes as the school system is clashing with the county executive and the county council over how to increase teacher pay. WIPR's John Lee has that story. School Superintendent Daryl Williams says 40 of the county's 176 schools are fully staffed. Others are struggling to find teachers. 11 schools have 10 or more vacancies. And those schools that have several vacancies, five or more, we look at them as a priority and work with the school principal to figure out what those alternatives may be. Those alternatives include reassigning central office staff to schools, using interns from local universities as long-term substitutes, and paying teachers more who volunteer to take on an extra class. Earlier this month, 140 educators resigned. Their experience ranged from five months to 24 years. Cindy Sexton, the president of the County Teachers Union, says recruiting and retaining teachers needs to be a priority, and that means better pay. While the county has the state's third largest school system, Sexton says it ranks ninth statewide in career earnings. What's at stake is the future of Baltimore County uh, and certainly the education of our students. A good quality school system attracts people 
to the county. And we need to make sure that we are working to rebuild that in Baltimore County Schools. To that end, the school system and the union have reached a tentative agreement that would raise salaries an average of nearly 8 percent. Union members will vote on the proposed contract later this month. But here's the rub. The $50 million needed to pay for those raises isn't in the school budget. So the school board wants to grab the money from the school system's surplus fund. And to do that, it needs the county council's permission. County Executive Johnny Oshevsky says the school board's action is irresponsible, fiscally unsustainable, and could lead to tax hikes to pay for it. He'll block it from even getting an up or down vote. Oshevsky and members of the council say the problem is that $50 million would only cover the raises for teachers and other staff members for one year. And then what? I think the county council was blindsided in some way by this. Republican Councilman David Marks wants to see a plan from the school board on how it will make cuts to the school system's budget to find money for the pay raises in the years ahead. Cut your expenses, cut your overhead and administrative costs by 10, 15 percent um, so that we can help raise these salaries. And I think the onus is on them. And I also think they should open their books. I mean, this has been a constant issue is getting them to open their books so we have a full accounting of where they're spending their money. Council Chairman Julian Jones also says the school system can find the money for pay raises in its $2 billion budget. Basically what they're saying is let us spend this money today and we will figure it out tomorrow. And basically the county government is saying, no, you figure it out now. Superintendent Williams says he supports the board's decision to ask for the surplus money for pay increases, and Williams says he's willing to look for budget cuts to help pay for them. So now we just have to figure out an alternative way of trying to meet them in the middle to support our staff. We don't want to lose our staff members, and and folks are comparing salaries, our salary scales, um, with other systems. All involved, Williams, Oshevsky, and county council members say they want the educators to get the raises. Meantime, Oshevsky says he is willing to spend $14 million so a planned 3% across-the-board raise can kick in six months sooner. That's expected to go before the county council next month. John Lee, WIPR News. Maryland's Department of the Environment has issued a draft permit for a giant indoor salmon farm in an industrial park on the outskirts of Federalsburg on the eastern shore. Yet environmentalists worry about whether the agency can successfully regulate such an operation. WIPR's Joel McCourt has more. First, there's the size of the thing, 25 acres under one roof. That's more than six Super Walmarts set side-by-side and end-to-end. When it's fully operational, the Norwegian firm Aquacon plans to harvest 14,000 metric tons of salmon a year using recirculated water. Still, it would discharge more than 2 million gallons a day of wastewater into tiny Marshy Hope Creek, a tributary of the Nanticoke. Lee Curry, director of the Maryland Department of the Environment's Water and Science Division, told a recent public hearing on the project his department had never dealt with something like this and at this scale. 
That caught the attention of Al Girard, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's Eastern Shore Director. He calls it uncharted territory, not just because of the discharge water, but also because of the storm water running off that giant roof. Uh, so th there's lots of questions. You know, the MDE really needs to deny this permit and, and take several steps back. Uh, so it, it can ensure that water quality is not harmed in Maryland. David Secor, a professor at the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science Lab at Solomons, worries that a production facility of that size has never been tested anywhere. There's no track record in terms of the, uh, the, the management strategies and contingency plans. There's no way of evaluating it up front. MDE's Curry says that while the department hasn't dealt with anything of this size, there's a lot of information available on recirculating aquaculture systems, or RAS, and that his agency is familiar with water quality standards. And I think it's putting it all together to, you know, make sure that we're confident, which we are, that the limits we propose and the special conditions we have in the permit provide all the safeguards necessary. The operation is to be like one at IMET, the Institute for Marine and Environmental Technology at the Columbus Center on Pier 5 in Baltimore's Inner Harbor. They're raising salmon in 3,200-gallon tanks using city water that's been treated to mimic the colder salt water where salmon normally would spawn. Everything in this facility is totally computer-controlled. Temperature, uh, we go, we can use cold water like 10 degrees C all the way to warm water 30 degrees C, salinity from fresh to salt water and anywhere in between. That's Jonathan Zohar, director of IMET's Aquaculture Research Center and an advisor to Aquacon. The whole operation is self-contained, he says. Even the fish waste is converted to biofuels to run generators. We are here in the inner harbor. We don't take a drop of water from the inner harbor. We don't discharge a drop of water to the inner harbor. He says 99.9% .9 of the water is recycled. The only water that leaves the facility is what's called purge water. It's what's left after the salmon are treated for something called geosmin, a naturally occurring substance in farm-raised salmon that can make the fish taste like mud. Zohar says the salmon are moved into tanks of fresh water for several days, which purges of the geosmin, and that's the water that is discharged. So the uh, discharge water will have very low levels of geosmin, but those levels are going to be at or lower than levels of geosmin that have already been recorded in, in the Marshy Oak Creek. Ryan Showalter, an Eastern lawyer representing Aquacon, says there would be no salt in the purge water and that the draft MDE permit requires the water temperature to be within two degrees Celsius of the water in the creek. We will fully comply with the terms and conditions of that permit. So it, it will go through a heat exchanger and, and will be heated based upon the temperature occurring in the, the creek at, at any particular time in the discharge. He says state law requires them to manage the stormwater runoff so that it would be no different than if the property had remained wooded. So we have to manage that. There will be a large excavation on site and um, the, the stormwater management will largely go through uh, infiltration practices and volumes will be stored in a pond on site and released 
uh, at a rate that's less than what is occurring today. But that's small comfort for UMCES's Seacor, an expert on sturgeon. The ancient endangered species, once thought to have disappeared from Chesapeake Bay, has been discovered spawning in the warm, fresh water of the Marshy Hope. Any disturbance to the delicate environmental balance, like discharges of colder, potentially salty water into the creek, could mean the end of sturgeon spawning there, he says. The only similar discharge that's permitted is up in the Penobscot Bay. And there they're discharging into a very large bay. Um, and uh, one where sturgeon aren't spawning. Secor also worries about stormwater running off that roof, pushing sediment into the creek to cover the rocks where sturgeon eggs, covered with a sticky substance, attach themselves to mature. Uh, most of that estuary is bordered with beautiful marshes and swamps, and I think that's kept the sediment and silt at bay and allowed the river bottoms to maintain. While fisheries experts debate the operation's potential effects on the marshy hope, state and local economic development officials see a potential for jobs. Debbie Bowden, Caroline County's economic development director, calls it an opportunity to grow the manufacturing and industrial base in Federalsburg, a town of about 2,700. So we're looking forward to being able to offer opportunities for manufacturing and food production, uh, but with a little bit different take with uh, basically they are hiring folks that will um, do wastewater management treatment. At the same time, she says they're looking for a balance between job opportunities and environmental protections. So we want to make sure that the natural resources and the environmental concerns, uh, water quality um, are protected. And that's why the state has taken that on through MDE. She estimates it could mean 150 local jobs. MDE has extended the comment period on its permit to mid-October, and the project needs other permits as well. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, Bethany Raja, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Kristen Mossbrugger. Our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. If you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast, my social media hangout is Twitter at That's Pam Jones. So remember to be courageous and stay curious. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.